All right, everybody. Welcome to Imperfect Allies. My name is Richie. And I'm Chris. And we are here tonight. I'm so excited about uh, our guest tonight. We have Sadia in the studio. Let's give him a yay. Yeah, yeah. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Uh, yes, Sadia is an artist, a comedian, a writer, um, just an all-around good person, wonderful person that I, uh, I care I care about and love probably more than um, <laughs> he's comfortable with, uh, <laughs> as I do all my friends, right? Uh, so, Sadia, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm I'm good. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here and happy to be catching up with you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Sadia, are, is there anything that you want to promote? Just to Get, let people they want to get in touch with you or see what the kind of things sure. the work that you I, do. I am working on a, a new art project and I will be sharing it to my Instagram account at Saria is artsy and that's S A R I A I S A R T S Y. So, um, can you tell us a little about a bit about yourself, like uh, how you came to this podcast? Uh, you know, what, what do you, where do you live? What do you do? That kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I um. I'm born in Damascus, Syria. That's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to the States in 2014. Um, and I came to North Texas. And as I was waiting for my documents and like mm-hmm. immigration papers, I um, got really bored and signed up for like comedy classes. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I should say that like, um, I've always been interested in creative things. So like I've, I've been an active artist and writer but I thought I'll try like a new genre of writing. And that's how I got into comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just an immediate, immediate match. I, um, I, I met you Richie at four day and mm-hmm. that's where, um, like I've done, I've, I've done improv, I've done sketch and I, um, was getting to a point where I was putting up a lot of shows. And, um, recently, um, I was a co-founder of the Fort Worth comedy festival that unfortunately did not take place because um, yeah. it was when the pandemic happened um but yeah i've i've done art in fort worth and i i write i that's what i've been focusing on during the pandemic writing um what else i think that's it I don't know. yeah because you and i you and i've been in shows together and written sketches mm-hmm. together and acted and uh we did a show two years ago which probably it's probably one of the um one of my, the favorite things I've ever done in 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 Fort Worth is uh, our show uh, on belief called Belief. What was yes. it called? It was called Disbelief. I uh, believe show, and we got to do it at TCU and four day. It was just, um, yeah, it was just really really great, really great yeah, to be a part are, of that. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so thanks for coming on the show again. Uh, so one of the things that we kind of kind of talk about here is is we talk about things that. Maybe not everybody knows how to talk about. So for me, for instance, I didn't know how to talk about being white mm-hmm. uh, before the show. <laughs> uh, Chris knew how to talk about being black. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, you know, it's a different thing, but uh, so, but, but I do want to ask you about the uh, categories that you're in the, yeah. you know, you're from Damascus. So you're Syrian. Are there, okay. are there other things that are um, yeah. other labels? Yeah. I, labels. It's yeah. interesting because it, so like my boxes change depending on where I am, right? Um, and in the US, yeah, I'm okay. an immigrant, I'm a refugee, I'm a right. um, a person of color, which like that alone was hard to <laughs> find because I look white, but I'm not really white. Um, right. And I'm I'm queer. That is everywhere um, on any <laughs> land. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think those are it. So, what is it like uh, dealing with maybe changing labels, uh, getting used to identifying differently depending on where you are? I, I, that's a unique struggle that mm-hmm. I don't know if all, our listeners really have an um, understanding with. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I like. Um, so for me, actually, having those new found labels in the U.S. Um, as part of, you know, an immigrant or a refugee, um, they were really eye-opening because they they um, brought me, I mean, in Damascus, I consider myself to be privileged. And, you know, we I, I came from like a um, well family. And so um, I, I did not grow up thinking about the underprivileged. I mean, I knew about them. I cared about them. But, you know, I did not have yeah. that experience whatsoever. Um, 
but yeah. in the US I do. I'm like uh, the lowest um, of the pyramid of privilege. And so um, it was definitely eye-opening in terms of how I saw the US, how I saw the world uh, functioning. Um, hmm. Honestly, being Syrian is like the worst um, because the world just does not treat you like any other citizen. And so wow. um, like that is a lot of struggle and that is everywhere. The fact that you're born on in that country, mm. you know, um, like when yeah. the war happened, um, so many Syrians were being denied visas, you know, you can't just go anywhere. Um, even when you do sure. get places like your documents take forever, um, there are so many legal complications. Um, so like being Syrian is something that I carry with me every day. Um, you, you know, we see the effect of it like till today for seven years now, I, I'm unable, like I have not been able to see family or friends. Um, and that's not just me, that's everyone. Um, the war created this like diaspora right. that we now live. I mean, I have friends in over 20 countries and um, wow. that's just yeah. because of like how bad the situation was. Um, as far yeah. as immigrant or refugee in the US, that's definitely tough because um, you don't have access to the same things. and the country is not set up in a way where like as Europe, for example, they have a lot of support for, for, for newly, um, like for new refugees, mm -hmm. whereas here they don't, you, you just kind of come and, um, good luck. Um, Interesting. the process takes forever. There's just so many complications within it. You know, like just the fact that you're changing the country alone is hard, but then there are, um, a lot more things. Um, and being clear, I mean, that's, your good old um like um <laughs> boss i i it's interesting because i've been queer forever and to this day like i i have i am in rooms where i debate my visibility uh, versus my safety or how do i present myself mm. in, in this room uh, or what kind of what can i say here that i can't say there you know um yeah yeah <laughs> no i i like the um, the story of comparing American America's ability to handle refugees versus Europe's because that gives our listeners a direct comparison of how other responses have been. And I'm curious if you have um, friends that are in Europe that you know are maybe having privileges that you don't have here and, and kind of walk us through that because on our show we we kind of want to foster allyship in many different ways. And that's one that we don't, we, I don't think we talk Definitely. about enough. Here I, um, just to ver like clarify something. Um, ref there's a different term between refugees and asylees. It's very similar, but usually refugees are the people who end up in camps near the original country. And then um, some countries will take refugees every now and then. That process usually takes for like 10 to 12 years while you're still in, in the camp. Um, and there are only eight countries registered to do that. Mm -hmm. Whereas asylees, you enter the country legally or illegally, and then you apply for asylum because you can't go back. Um, so to start things with a difference, um, in the U.S., you can only apply for asylum if you're politically persecuted or um, religiously or based on race or gender. Um, like, it, it has to be unsafe for you specifically to be in that country. But you can't apply for asylum simply because there's war in your country. Like that's not valid enough. Which is why you see a lot of deportations, like back to El Salvador or um, Guatemala, because they they escape gang violence, and that to the U.S. system is not, I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, so it starts there. Uh, we definitely were um, persecuted politically. Um, like I cannot exist in Syria. Um, my family was outspoken um, about like the regime and the change. Um, and so that has its own problem, which is why I'm not using my last name because I have family there and um, that's, you know, not very safe. But um, so, yeah, and in, in Europe, you know, um, even if you're just escaping war, you can. Um, but the main differences were that, like, for example, here, when you apply, you don't get any benefits or like, you know, not medical insurance, not um, cash or any um, sort of help. Um, not even a lawyer, you have to find a lawyer. Like you can do asylum without one, but the outcome is going to be very different. Um, and then you have to wait. 
Um, it used to be six months, but because of the backlogs and everything that was happening, it took us four years to even get an interview. Um, and so they had a newly updated law, which was you, we can give them work authorization cards so they can work and make money because you can't really do anything. Um, but like, for example, um, you get the like six months after being able to apply for the work card and until you get it, um, you know, you have to renew that every year and every year you have to pay like $400 to renew that. Um, as you wait for like your asylum um, approval or denial or like referral to a judge. Um, whereas in Europe, they, they don't have that. You either get like a temporary protected status that you, you renew every year or two, or you get an immediate like residency and then you can work on the path of uh, citizenship or whatever. Um, one of my closest friends in Sweden um, just became a citizen, um, even though we like left around the same time yeah whereas i'm just i'm still waiting for my green card and my my family still has not been approved for asylum um so like there there is a striking difference in in the time line that this goes and it it is impactful because you feel this sort of lack of safety not knowing what's next not knowing if this is where you'll stay forever you know you'll build a home or not um yeah i i i hope that answers the question wow oh yeah for sure uh, go ahead chris well it's just very eye-opening and i i can hear um the people who are thinking well if it's harder here why come here and so i guess your journey to getting to america versus sweden versus mm -hmm. other countries is that is that a choice is there decision making in that can you walk us through that process definitely i would i this is my favorite part because um people don't they have no clue like americans just have zero clue what it is like to travel for syrians for example um as an american citizen you can probably go to like what almost every country without even worrying about a visa um whereas for syrians it was always a very difficult thing to get like you have to have money and you have to prove that you're not wanting to stay and you have to like, there's just so many um things you have to check before like you even consider that okay your visa application is going to be approved when the war came that even became way more like complicated because you know as a way of the united nation to like um put sanctions on the regime they closed the embassies and so we would have to go to beirut and apply for visas there and um like in most cases you don't get it simply because you're Syrian, like that is, they know that you want to stay in the countries that you're coming to, and so you don't get it. Um, I still to this day have no idea how we got it. Um, I think a lot of it plays a role with like having family here, and um, so you know they. I, I really don't know. Like at that in that year, people were applying all the time, and nobody was getting it. So when we got it, we couldn't just say no. <laughs> you know, you can't like because the other option was like my friends and my family. A year later, they took both on in the Mediterranean to get to Europe. Um, you get to a point where you don't have an option, like you have to leave or you will die in your country. And so when it is that, you don't you don't say no even to a not great um, country. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a life or death. It's not pick and choose where you're going. Yeah. yeah. So it's really a lot of stuff has popped up and I'm, I'm really curious about uh, the the sort of that spider's thread that like it, it could all suddenly go away or I could, the, you know, a judge could revoke, even though I've done everything right. I mean, what's that? Is that fear? Is you have like a, what's that feel like? I guess. I mean, you know, to, to have that, like, Oh, well, a judge could say no to whatever I've gotten process right now. And I have to go back to, you know, um, honestly, it's, it, I, 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 it's very hard to describe. I, um, when I got my asylum, I was like, okay, great. Now I, I know I have a path to a secure citizenship in the U.S., right? But even that path is like very shaky. Um, at one point when I applied like for my green card, you know, I, I don't know if I will get it or I would need an interview, for example. And um, Trump like had this idea to um, pass a law that would require or like that would that can refuse um, green card applicants if they're poor <laughs> and um, that affects people, you know, like just that the fact that loss can happen that affects your future is just forever unsettling. Um, I think 
a, an important angle for me to look at it was that it wasn't personal and it was every Syrian. You know, I'm living it here and other people are in literal camps. Um, my friends in Damascus are stuck and, you know, there are like it's it's just a curse that happened to that nation. And so I, I don't have any other choice but to accept it. I mean, that perspective is um, one. It's powerful and strong to to keep that. I know we talk about that a lot as sometimes we look at others and compare them for a negative reason, right? Just to say, I wish I had what they had and things like that. But it is so, so uplifting to remember our, your, your blessings and your privileges and, and the small little things that you have, even in the face of, of adversity like that. So I think that's amazingly strong. And um, I, I like that your, your story has so much that you had to overcome your family. It's not you, you're not alone in that, but at the same time, um, you're not holding yourself back. You're, you're, you're not using that kind of as a, I don't, well, let me share from the, from the black experience. We hear so much about victim blaming. And the second that you're, you're at the bottom, that somehow you are perpetuating that bottom by uh, wearing, Mm -hmm. wearing those things on your sleeve. And so, you know, I, it's hard for me to put myself in your shoes because it's something I've never experienced. But it, is there a sense of maybe um, community in in where you are? Is it is it your family? Is it where everyone is kind of spread about on the in the diaspora? Where is that sense of community kind of come? Um, I mean, initially, it's definitely family. Like in the first few years, you know, we became uh, each other's support, whether it was financial or emotional or whatever was needed. We were together, we stuck together, and that helped. Interestingly enough, I think it actually, you know, years later, I think it it um, impacted the relationships between us sort of negatively. Mm. Um, like I'm, I'm having to... I'm having to find new ways to heal from those years. And a lot of them have to do with the relationship with the family because we carried, I mean, each of us carried huge responsibilities that really no human should have to go through. And so you become like, like I, when I, whenever I talk to my mom, for example, about it, I, I, we realized like in that phase, we became such, um, tired partners to make this like family survive you know and that's not a relationship you want to have with your mom like that's not the way it should go um and so community is definitely great and i'm forever grateful for but i'm i'm saying like how trauma impacts it it's not anything you know mm-hmm. um as far as diaspora it's interesting because is this like in the last year, I think we've been recommunicating. Like I've been talking to friends that I haven't talked to in 10 years, but it's because I think we all found ourselves lost and exiled and like hanging on to memories that were taken away from us. And so I think there's like a collective Syrian feeling of, of um, the future and, and what that will look like. So you see a lot of like activism online, whether it's archiving or fundraisers or uh, ways to support people there. And like, that's really hopeful because you know that people that are outside are still thinking of their home. Um, And and that's definitely hopeful. Well, I I wonder, so uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, not to... I'm, tr- I'm not, I'm trying to keep it, you know, trying to keep it real. I'm not trying yeah. to <laughs> censor myself. I'm just trying to, so, um, living in, living in the country and like you were in college and the war started, is that right? Yeah, so, I was, or was well, it the revolution that? started in the year of the last year of my high school between that and, wow. and going to college, okay. it had become war at that point. So, because it really escalated okay. within two years. Okay. So. Right. So I'm, I'm curious about the things that you're seeing in this country specifically with like January, I mean, do you see parallels or, or can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Like just what it's like being a citizen of a country that's like all of a sudden things are moving in that direction. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. I, oof, this year was tough because I mean, when, when the protests erupted, you know, I was there immediately. And like two days later, I realized that I wasn't okay. And I like had to not go and, and really sit with that. It was so triggering that I went to a protest in the US, like the country that is supposed to be um, 
giving me protection, but I was tear gas, <laughs> um, you know, and like shot at just very similar to there. I mean, it, it's, it's a weird comparison because it's, it is in that direction, but it is not that, you know, there is still democracy in the US that does not exist in Syria. There's, there's, there are agencies like the FBI and, um, you know, so many other government agencies that exist to protect the US. Um, so I, I don't like when the comparison comes from Americans because they don't know what a dictator, like they have not yet lived through an entire dictatorship, but there is some truth to it because it, Trump was a fascist and there is no denying that. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's so overwhelming to see how many people willingly voted for him. Like that is just mind boggling. Um, I remember in 2016 when he was like elected, I definitely like also went through this weird day of, of talking to my friends and being like, you know, they're laughing about it and making memes, but I'm like, no, this is serious. Like this is how a, you know, the propaganda, the, the um, uh, fake news and the dismissal of the media, these are just tactics that any dictator use. Like I've seen them. I know what, I know what he looks like. Um, so it's frustrating for me, for people not to like really believe that. Um, but what happened in Capitol um, two weeks ago was exactly what I like had in mind when he was elected in 2016. You know what I mean? So to me, it was not surprising whatsoever. It was like the same amount of, of, of shock from the very first day. Um, I, I, I don't know. I hope, I, I really, really hope this was the way the U.S. learned how not to do that again, because, you know, the next fascist is not going to be as, um, like, out there as Trump. He's probably going to be more well-dressed and uh, more uh, well-spoken and, like, knows how to get places without that, like, chaos that Trump had. And the real question is, will Americans be aware enough to identify him or her? Yeah. What was the... Well, I guess... Um, just for the ignorance of, um, I, I'm going to wear this as a, being an American, um, the, the sheer ignorance of the, the plights outside of America. What was the um, previous regime in Syria and then the revolution, which I now hear in your story, Americans throw that word around a lot um, as this is the revolution. And now I'm hearing it like, oh, no, that's a serious thing to say. Um, what was the kind of change in Syria just as far as governments uh, are concerned so we can understand? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting because I've only been born into this regime. I've, that's all I've seen. Um, and my parents. So that tells you a lot. Um, I... But I do know about a Syria that like exists in my grandmother's eyes and she tells me stories and it's very weird because I do not, I do not know anything about that. Like a brief history is uh, we were for, for more over 400 years part of the Ottoman Empire and then when that collapsed, colonization happened. So we were colonized by France, just like the entire Middle East and Africa were colonized by other um, Western countries. Um, but when we, we got independent from uh, the French, there was a period of time where there were just so many coups and like changes of regime. And, but it was interesting because it kind of showed like a weird way that was heading to democracy in a sense. Cause people like, if they didn't like somebody, they like took them down and, you know, changed the regime. But, um, um, Hafiz, uh, the father of the current president, um, worked through the military and found like um, founded the the Ba'ath Party, and that's how they became to power. And when they did, it was just immediate, like taking control of everything. Um, the first election they held after him was like very much terrorized in a sense that nobody even dared to run, and so it just became like he gained power and power. And then in the eighties. Um, a city in Syria tried to try to like protest, but you know that was before media or anything. So um, he just bombed them, and nobody knew about it. And so the Syrians learned not to ever speak again until 2011, because it wasn't him; it was his son. And there were a lot of changes, and the Arab Spring was you know that year. So they thought that there like could be a possible way, but it was the same situation. Wow, wow! And uh, as Americans. You know, so uh, from the outside looking in, I, I'm sure you can see how much Americans are just like freedom, freedom. Everything needs to be about individual freedom. And mm -hmm. hearing hearing this uh, dichotomy in Syria is, is is the revolution people fighting for democracy and freedom against tyranny. And and there's just I, I, 
Yeah, I guess not to pick a side, but Americans maybe just want to know what is happening and should there be more support on our end or or is it just um, like a turf war kind of thing? So when it started, it was a very true revolution because it was just people um, protesting in cities and the response was just so overwhelming that like in no time, you know, those families from those cities definitely carried weapons because I mean, okay, let's see, let's say, you know, a small town in Texas goes out to protest and then the army comes in to bomb them. They are going to carry their guns and like try to defend their sons and daughters from dying. And so naturally that's a very fast way to turn a thing into a bigger thing. Um, and then you have people from the army that didn't want to shoot their people and like decided to, um, create a new army of, of the free Syrian army is what they called it. Um, and then, you know, you have, it, it was also an opportunity in which like a lot of people came over because, you know, when, once you have chaos, then it's very easy for whether it's terrorist groups or people with guns to just enter and make a big deal out of it. And so that what that is what has been happening because you have Assad and his, you know, forces, and then you have some of the free Syrian army. And then you had like, terrorist organizations that were and i mean those also are very interesting in the way they form because the president has a lot to do with that and yeah it's it's very like i still have to read so much to understand <laughs> what the heck went down um but i mean i i can clearly like i vividly remember the protests and the way they came to shoot people and um the bombings of cities and like just how the i mean this is one thing, but the bigger issue here is also like the regime's illegal prisons because they would take anyone that spoke out against them or if they saw, you know, you recorded a video or something and then you go to prison and that's like not a regular prison. You don't have documents. You go to torture basically and nobody knows if you'll ever live or die. And um, yeah. Wow. 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 Well, it's really interesting, man, because I think that coming from a a the white space that I have I've been in my whole life, I think that the message that I received from media, from social things uh, in my circles when I was younger was that, you know, um, immigrants, th there wasn't a lot of concern about immigrants or refugees. I mean, uh, it's this idea that like, well, they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. There's a guy from India that came here with $70 in his pocket and now he owns, you mm -hmm. know, restaurants all over the country. So it's, it, it, there's like, there's, there is this, what I, I think, you know, I don't think it's a malicious, but I think it's like ignorant, um, neglect of understanding. Yeah. Well, I'm just understanding what's happening over there. Cause as you're talking, I'm like, Okay, man, I, you know, um, immigration reform seems like Why something that needs to be, you know what I mean? Like you, you have somebody, have somebody that you, you know, that you know is um, to go through all of this and maybe that's part of it. And, 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 you know, cultivating empathy is hard when you don't know somebody that's not, yeah. that has not gone through it or isn't going through it. That's, that's the hardest to, for me, it's the hardest type of empathy. And, you know, I've got, well, I don't want to get into that, but um I don't know, man. I, I, I hope our listeners are hearing the time, um, how long it takes to get, you know, into the country to feel a sense of safe, you know, safety is, you know, a sense of home or belonging and even just like physical safety, like, you know, not, not offering any kind of residence or any kind of assistance financially, or like, you know, we've got somebody here who has come from a war torn country uh, that would benefit from, you know, mm -hmm. um, even like mental mm -hmm. health stuff, right. To process trauma and all those things. And then you talked about your own family, you know, in that survival mode, um, we all, I mean, that's just how we do things in survival mode that we don't right. do in when we're, our needs are met. Right. And so that, that, that produces another kind of trauma, right. That, um, so, I mean, I just, I mean, I am, yeah. Uh, thank you for talking about this. No, stuff, thank you for it's, noticing. It's so I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah, like this so survival mode has been on for ten years now for us and every Syrian. You know, like that's how you live daily, um, whether you're outside or inside. I mean, sure, there's so the war like yeah. now is not as intense as it was a few years ago, but the the like outcome of it is horrible because people 
in the capital, and this is supposedly the most privileged city, are struggling to find electricity and gas and um, food. And the economy is just so bad because of, you know, the sanctions and like um, um, the inflation and all of that. So it's survival mode is just ridiculous. I, I, I think it's, it's really horrible to know that every person who has or like every person who has relations with Syria lives like that, you know? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that's the thing is that, you know, because a small group of people in your country want to have this war, mm -hmm. all of a sudden the entire population is sort of labeled as, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And it's the same with like the Muslim stuff, like, you know, a very tiny, not even a 1%, you know, the Muslim terrorists, and all of a sudden the entire religion is like, okay, well, everybody's the same or whatever else. Um, and we here in the U S have a real problem with like the seeing anything outside of white Christian American as non-threatening. I mean, that's, I know that's pretty inflammatory, but like, that's just, you know, if you look at our policies and the systems and the rhetoric, that's, that's what it, you know, even in like, even in like our comedy stuff, you know, I was listening to Dave, Chappelle talk about a meeting that he had with somebody and they said, you know, it was an all black show that he was a part of and they wanted to cast a, a white person because they wanted universal appeal. Yeah. Right. So like, it's just like, it's in everything. It's not just in like, you know, serious systems. It's also in like our media and just yeah. the junk, like magazines and television. So I don't know, man. Wow. I'm curious wow. Um, with, the American culture of individualism and the kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and and uh, make the most of your situation. Do you feel um, do you feel empowered being in America? Is there any like American culture dripping on you that you're like, oh, yay, I have like, I'm just I'm curious. Um, it's interesting that you say that because obviously that's like what you think of America. Um, when before you come right but um it's absolutely the opposite like i i feel like i am being crushed daily by the system and i know that i'm not the only one um like i i genuinely don't believe in the individualism that america lives with i i think it is the most toxic trait um and it's very hurtful um to both communities and and, and people um I mean, it makes sense because it's such a capitalist system here and that is natural for it to be like that. Um, but I, I, I don't think that, that like that, that is just set for a few to succeed. Um, and by, by that success, we were saying, you know, money, <laughs> um, because the top few are not going to be at the top if the lower half are not like struggling and surviving and you know that's the other thing like i think a huge part of survival mode for me is because i'm a working class person in the u.s and i and i know that every working class person in the u.s is in survival mode you live paycheck to paycheck and um you don't know when the crisis will happen because when it does you don't know what you will do whether it's an, an er or uh your pet needing something or like you know um your car breaks down like that's not freedom um you're you're enslaved to the system, and I, I think a first world country can do better. Mm -hmm. Would would you say, uh, so America portrays that whole freedom individual thing, and you said you could even see that coming in to America, um, the Syria that you grew up with. What did it have a culture or a, a um, kind of stick that you could see would be clearly Syrian culture. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's interesting because I do have to admit to the freedoms that are here in terms of, you know, you can say what you want. You don't fear um, certain things, but like, um, you know, like in Syria, for example, you can do an art piece about whatever you want. Um, you can't just produce any movie you want. Like those are things you can't do. Right. Right. Um, but as, as to answer your question, yes, I, um, Syria is very communal. Like people are just, you know, your family comes first and then your family and then your neighbors. And like, um, I mean, I grew up um, remembering, uh, also I grew up in a big city. I, I have to admit that like um, Damascus is the equivalent of, I guess, New York or something like that. So it's, it's big. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, you know, I grew up remembering our neighbors would knock the door when they need like a lemon or some bread because they're out. And that's just totally normal. You, you expect it. Um, hmm. People at like, when you go to buy something and if they know you, they'll try not to let you pay. Um, there's a sense of like, wherever you walk in, somebody's going to serve you tea or fruit or um, something. Um, there's like a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> deep care yeah hospitality, hospitality and, and like that's in, in different way. ways yeah um i mean they'll talk about you if you're like they'll talk about me with my hair like that or like um <laughs> yeah. if you're wearing something funky <laughs> i'm getting there buddy yeah <laughs> i'm getting there i'm looking I'm, it's, a little, it. <laughs> wow. it's a little damn but i'm getting there For if i wash it it'll well, yeah, but sorry. For those listening, <laughs> the, um, the the hair flexing that's happening right now is uh, wild. Mm. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Chris. Sorry, sorry. have the hair flex. Sorry, Rip. Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just the commu- just the communal yeah. nature of of sort of daily life. Yeah, and, you can and see a big difference. Yeah, I also see think big. people there are really simple. Like at the end of the day, they. You know, they they care about like the people around them and what they've done and like how how mm-hmm. they love today and um, yeah. There's a lot of regressiveness and and you know other ideologies, but like that's everywhere and you cannot like every country has its own problems that way. Sure. Um, but yeah. Right. Well, it's so it's so interesting to me, man, to hear you talking that way because you know embarrassingly candidly i you know it's such a far away place for me culture you know like i was you know uh listening to the the voices i listened to for so long i mean that was that was the enemy of the state right like that's the enemy and to hear you to hear you um speak in such a way it's like yeah we we cared for each other and our neighbors like most people don't pretty simple like those all those things are exactly what i see in every you know neighborhood or you know what i'm saying like w- that i grew up around like there there i don't think there was a strong sense necessarily but like that's not alien and to to have it like marketed as, as like this alien crazy it's non and especially if we move into the religious angle which that was where a lot of it came from and for me it was like you know um they're not you know, Muslims aren't going to heaven or what, you know, all, all the crazy messages that we hear, that I don't, you know, need to repeat unless we want to talk about, them. uh, it, it's just, um, it's just, uh, thank you. I mean, I, 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 you know, you and I've had somewhat, not, not this deep, but similar conversations. And I, and I know, I know that for a long time, the, the messages I received, um, are, were and are incorrect and continue to be. So, um, I'm, I don't know why I, I just, it's <laughs> as a, as, as the, you know, the skin tone I am, the culture I come from and all that stuff to hear such a contradictory statement to all that, that is true. I want, I mean, you know, our, our audience either sorry is lying or it's the truth, <laughs> which it is. And we have to reckon with that. We have to reckon with the white cultures and i'll say that because we're in the majority and and it's 90 percent of our leadership is white and all that stuff um white culture has to come to terms with those messages and um not um not deny or gaslight folks when they when they speak this way and i think it's really incumbent upon us to to do that and and i uh, i'm just i'm thanks for speaking up man i just thanks for talking telling us about this because it's I know there's going to be some people that listen to this that are like, what? <laughs> I mean, and honestly, it's like from a place of like, you know, you're told your whole life uh, that black people are criminals. And then all of a sudden you meet all these black people and it's like, oh, they're none of them are criminals. Oh, well, damn it. Like what, you know, and, 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 in if you grow up and you make laws and you grow, you know, <laughs> you get in government and all of a sudden, cause I think that there's, there's something happening I don't know if it's globally or, or just in the nation, but like something's happening last year that we've never seen here before. And um, so it kind of, it kind of um, brings me to one of the questions that we ask is what do you, what do you wish your allies knew? What do you, what do you wish those that want to support uh, Syrians or, you know, any um, of the boxes they talked about, what, what do you I mean, want I them to know? I think it's allies job to, 
to um, do the work because it's a lot of emotional labor for for us. Um, and and I and I say that in like a way that yeah. you know I'm I'm okay with emotional labor most of the time, and I don't mind sharing my knowledge and my perspective and and all of these things. But I but it is there. Yeah, like for example. Um, there was like some news coming out of the Middle East and it was really big. And um, whenever that happens, I usually get like 10 texts from my American friends. Like a lot of them are, are really nice about like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of you or whatever. And that's great. Mm. But um, some of them are like, what's your opinion on this? Um, and it's like, this right. just happened. And I really don't feel like um, giving you like the scoop. Um, and so I, you know, I feel like, any good ally um, is somebody who will do the work on their own. They will look into it. They will listen to conversations. The, the, the things are out there. There are publications and there's art and there are thousands of things that you can watch and read. I mean, if we want to talk Syria alone, there's like probably five movies on each of the streaming right. services that talk about the war. Um, so, you know, you can do the work. Um, yeah. I do think that allies are important when to step in, 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 you know, when they can. Um, and yeah, I think there's, there's gotta be like a lot of creating tables and, and forcing, um, marginalized people to be at those tables. Um, when you're in a position of power, regardless of how small that power is, Mm. you have to use it because the world is not fair. And if we don't make it, fair in, in right. the little ways that we can then right. you know it, it, yeah it, i think i think i guess that, that's it that's awesome man that's awesome and and again i, I love this yeah. and agree and 100 percent with you and it goes directly against life isn't fair that's the message man that was the message you know every time i lost every time whatever else uh i probably even said it to my kids and and you know that 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 message of let's make it let's make it fair let's make it more equitable it's by the little things that we do you know yeah yeah i mean that's like really my political view because so many people like i mean whenever we talk like economics or even pandemic Mm -hmm. and so many things i i usually get like the, the comment that i hear when i share my thoughts is usually this is like very uh utopian of you and it's not real and i'm like Okay, hold on. Like, if if we are dreaming, <laughs> then why can't we make it the best out there? Because we can all think of like that utopia, and and like, why try for less if we're trying anyway? Right. Um. And I and I just like this is how I view things. For me, it's there's always a way to better things for people. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I yeah, like there's always questions, and that links to um, my queerness. I mean, I I feel like queerness for me is to keep questioning things yeah. about myself and the world around me and the way I perceive it. So it's not like an identity, it's a journey, you know? Mm. Um, I love that. Like a point of view or like a, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. I never thought about that before, man. You're blowing my mind. Tonight. I'm so glad we have you on the show. <laughs> I know I keep saying that. I'm sorry. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, wow. I'm also curious about the, um, experience of so you, you you said you were queer on every land <laughs> everywhere yeah <laughs> and i love that i'm curious um is your experience in america different than your experience back in syria uh, for your queerness mm-hmm. yeah in 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 some ways it is and in some ways it really isn't um and i also have to like i guess just make sure that i say this because when I was in Syria, I was a, a kid and like that has a lot to do with it. But, you know, you, you accept your queerness as the years go mm-hmm. by anyway. Right. So um, there's definitely a sense of hiding back home that you have to have like any queer people, any queer person does um, because simply, you know, like it just, it does, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just not very public. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, 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 I hid, I mean, you know, and I, and I hid very like, like hard, um, for years um and it was like shifting those masks all the time between family gatherings and friends gatherings and people that are okay with queerness and people that are not okay with queerness. Yeah. um i i do remember like but i mean i i got to ter- i i came to terms with my queerness back home okay and I, I really like that um i had queer friends and we you know spent time together and grief together and um and so I, i've had that experience 
Um, I definitely was did not feel free to do anything I want or everything I wanted um, right. all the time, um, which, you know, here, I guess I do a little bit more. But it's interesting because I still find myself, and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that I am in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I still find myself like on many days uh, being very cautious of like what I'm wearing or how I'm presenting myself, depending on where I'm going. Um, mm. You know, like it's not that that equation between visibility and, and authenticity is, or like safety and authenticity is just always on my mind. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, to be like, I guess clear, I, 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 I came to terms with my sexuality in a very early age, but um, I, as any queer person would, I think, um, I've questioned my gender for years. Um, and right like I've kind of accepted that like I don't really believe in gender to begin with <laughs> to have one mm-hmm. um and so for me oh, um, okay. yeah yeah I don't think I, I shared that with you yet um uh, and we didn't even talk about pronouns yeah. I didn't even think well, about it that, so yeah. Yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's interesting because I personally really don't care about pronouns like I I just don't okay um I do respect people okay. that do and I I know how important that is sure um, I I know that like whenever I want to describe my gender is, is I, I, I know I'm not cis, but I'm also like not trans, um, I guess. So I usually say non-binary or gender non-conforming, but really it's just because I sure. don't, you know, associate with gender. I, sometimes I feel boyish and others, I feel femish and I, I like to present and do whatever it is that I am feeling and doing that day. Yeah. And so that like yeah, loops back awesome. to, you know, on the days, like in the summer when I, because I, I like I bike daily and I, it's really hot here and I would like want to wear a crop top because it's so breezy. Um, but like, it's always a question, where am I going? And is this safe enough for me to do? Um, you know, right. I, that has not changed, right. like not even in the US. And um, what I found here that wasn't back home was like the racism within the gay community as well of, um, or like the Islamophobia or the the xenophobia that is just among, I guess, white people, (laughs) even white gay men. Yeah. I mean, it's in everything here. I mean, it really is. And it's, it's baked in, unfortunately. We are, we are the great grandchild of, of Western thought. I mean, that's what, that's what this country is. And it, if you start with, if you start with racism, I mean, <laughs> it's, it takes a long time to get it out. And I don't, you know, so it's in everything. It's in everything. And, and people disagree with me and think I'm nuts when I say that. But I mean, I'll, I'll love to go toe to toe with anybody that I can, we can talk about any system you want in the U.S., um, yeah. uh, you know, any, any white culture thing. And, and wow, man. I mean, that's, it's so, it gets me emotional to think about, I love so much that you're like, you're talking about being your authentic self like that. And and I know the white community has a hard time with this because there is a lot of grooming and a lot of uh, manicuring and, and being polite and all, mm-hmm. all these things that are like, that come from that Western thought. And, and I know that, that I know the other mm-hmm. communities deal with that too, but we have that here and to, and to be authentic I don't know if people could handle, like, I don't, I feel like, you know, as even as myself, like I'm a super emotional guy, big feelings, you know, and that doesn't mean anybody owes me anything like that or anything like that. But the idea that like, um, I can't be, uh, I can't present, um, you know, really loving and, and thoughtful, Mm -hmm. not only words, but touch. Right. But I really would like to just hold, you know, oh my gosh, you know, but that's not either manly or, you know what I mean? Like it's not it, it, those kind of things. I mean, you hear that, Chris, that authenticity. I mean, it's exactly what we've been talking about. Definitely. Sorry. I said balancing authenticity versus safety. That's yeah. That's. And that's something that I haven't dealt with necessarily. I mean, but it maybe be, maybe in some groups. Well, yeah. you know, I think Richie, you also have a. Um, you, it, it it might not be physical harm that is the safety you're worried about, but it, it is some mm. form of um, fear for how you will be treated based on you being your authentic self, and and that oh, is for sure. that is tough. Oh. And I, we were talking earlier before you hopped on, Richie, just because I'm in the West Coast, 
the West Coast is um, a little bit better, not not 100% better, even though they like to say they are out here. Um, but it is <laughs> progressively more authentic for a lot of people, which is a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, as much as a lot of us bash on America at this time in uh, the last four years, it's been really easy. <laughs> um, uh, it, the diversity of states is a cool thing to have because you can go different places and yeah. you are in a totally new world. I mean, Southern Florida is yeah. nothing like Central Texas, which is nothing like the West Coast. And then you got New York and the Midwest and it's just everything is different. And yeah. regardless, I know it takes privilege to be able to go to different places, right? But I, I'm curious if there's something to finding your home in America and like searching. And this is this is hard to say because it takes so much affluence to be able to go from one state to another to see if it fits yeah. you or not. But there's something to. No, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I've I've visited multiple places in the U.S. and I I am in the process of actually like. I mean, when COVID hit, I mean, before COVID, I found ways to adapt to Fort Worth. Um, and a lot of the reason was that my family's here. Um, but to be completely honest, like I did not like it from the day that I came here simply because I'm a city person and I really wanted to be in a city. I, you know, just walking around makes a huge difference in my day. Um, mm -hmm. And it just kept happening that like, you know, there's no, there wasn't any solid plan for me to do it. So I have been focusing on hopefully doing this over like the summer, if, you know, because I would hopefully COVID would be a little bit better and um, I'm planning to maybe save some money. And I, I, I am considering both New York and Seattle. Um, I love New York. Like I, I, when I'm in New York, I feel like home. I, the first time I visited, it really took me back to Damascus. Like it was just, a very interesting place yeah i i think it will be exhausting but i do want to try it um and seattle is the same it's a very charming city and i see myself like enjoying uh, being there but to be honest i i like traveling and um when i get when i am an american <laughs> that is the plan like i i want to you know reunite with friends and family and explore like art and theater or comedy in on on a bigger spectrum i guess like see this is an interesting, i i guess over the pandemic i've realized that like my focus has to be with the way i approach uh, art and creativity it has for me i really want to connect it to syria because the realization that there's no work being done that is owned by syria anymore like you know you, you, art, artists in, in germany for example are producing german art um and and the same thing is happening. So I'm like really wanting to create some sort of a um, community. Even like there has been some talks and stuff. So even if it's virtual, but I think like as Syrian activists, we have to rethink the way we do things because just the fact that we don't have a physical home to be at right now does not mean that we can't put up things that that link us to home. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And and just representing syrian art like the fact that that freedom isn't a, you don't have that luxury in syria right, exactly. but now that you are away from it you can infuse that yeah. which is that's beautiful yeah. that'd be awesome yeah. that's awesome that's awesome well the last question that we usually ask um is are there are there folks are there things that you wish the folks in your box like maybe syrian queer folks um whatever it is uh are you, are you things, are there things that you wish that you could tell them that they're not hearing? I mean, is there anything that, and, and sometimes there's not some, I mean, we, some guests are like, Nope, <laughs> cool. All right. Um, well, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm I just, mean, I would, I've, I've been talking to some queer people about this, but you know, it's interesting because like the whole pronouns and, and the new way we approach gender. And although it's very, very respectful, I personally, I'm, mm. I'm wanting to invite more, like gender queer people to rethink the way they approach pronouns um because i think like mm. we want to escape gender right that's the whole point of of not wanting to be like not wanting to 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 be in a binary that is men or women and i feel like the excessive thought of pronouns does the exact opposite of that where we have to like really like talk about gender and and, and it's the first thing that we mentioned now and I like want to do the exact opposite of that. I want to be in a room and people don't know what my gender is and not even ask me about it. You know what I mean? Um, 
that's wow. where I am. Wow, yeah, but yeah. Having that said, I do want to say that I like absolutely respect anyone that feels the need to hear a certain pronouns. I absolutely do. But I do think that it is a, a work in, pro sure. in, in process. You know, we can liberate ourselves from pronouns just the same yeah. way we do gender. Um, so I'm hearing the, the balance of there are people in the community that are looking for that pronoun representation. They, that, that is a respect and a, uh, maybe even like a badge of honor to receive the pronoun that they've been wanting to receive and haven't. And then I also hear the battle of, but now all we talk about are pronouns and being in, um, California, you know, I opened up with that, with stating my pronouns when we first hopped on. I've learned that here because as a employee, that's the number, this first question is your name and your pronouns every time. And that's not a, something that I'm used to, but it is mm -hmm. presently on my mind now. Of, oh, wait. Okay. My pro, I am he. Okay. I need to practice that. Like it's, it's a totally different wiring to where it doesn't feel like we're moving past pronouns. It actually feels like we are now giving them uh, more credence. So I, I, I like your perspective there, but I also like that you also pay respect to those who are looking for that. And I haven't thought of it in that light of people have been wanting to hear this pronoun. I mean, that that is powerful. I get that now. And I, I've, I've kind of struggled with it being a Southern dude from Texas. So I'm as bigoted indoctrination as they come, right? And um, it, I, I respect that now a little bit more so with your explanation so thank you for that thank you yeah definitely i i mean again for me like oh my god every application i when it, like both race and gender they never have my answer I'm like oh god <laughs> it just becomes so much that i'm like whatever i'll just um you know whatever the answer like they are so unnecessary i think either question but, um so this is a very interesting story actually um, because there's, there's, we only, we have to put white, um, even though like, yeah, yeah, we, we are white that are not Hispanic or Latino. And, um, and it's so like, I don't know why, because Syria is in Asia and then the middle is not even, but I actually did like this, this research. And it's really funny that why do we choose white is because, um, bunch of like Syrian and Lebanese immigrants that came in the 1920s um like they went to the Supreme Court to to um prove that they're white because back then Asians were not um like allowed to open stores wow. and they wanted to do business wow and they went to say like look we're not Asian we look white and it passed <laughs> <laughs> and so to this day <laughs> we have to check uh white I mean not that I'm saying we right, check Asian but, but we're we're not still it's it's that it's that you know white people deal with this a lot the white guy from south africa what does he put on the form mm. or what does she put on the form right, right? like that's always an example used for good and for ill <laughs> uh yeah. but yeah that's really really interesting man wow and we had an wow. episode oh go yeah, ahead, I mean, go ahead. Like, oh i'm uh, thinking in 30 to 40 years we're probably all going to be mixed anyway like yeah i don't i don't it's the world the world is we're moving to that direction where we're we're um globalizing which is really cool and it's funny our episode a couple of weeks ago was about traditions and how we just stick with them just because right it's just democracy for the dead and those guys who wanted that business and were like look we're not asian we're white like we're still practicing that when it doesn't make any sense like we should move beyond that yeah. and it's a shame that that was even a reality but we all know you had to be white in every way in this country to get ahead those people were trying to get ahead totally understandable but now Let's move on from these labels of yeah. race, which is not real anyways, and gender, and let's just move forward and respect each other as we are. Yeah. Yeah, I really hope that we can do that. But I guess, like, I don't know, de decolonizing is not easy, and everybody takes it. Is not, yeah. It is not, yeah. It is not. It is not. And I think, I think that the, correct me if I'm mistaken, but I think the message here is, you know, honor the people that need what they need. If Chris needs me to call him black, I'm calling black. If, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, if, if another person needs me to call them, you know, they, them like, like be respectful of that. Also realizing mm -hmm. that gender and race are both constructed. They're not, mm 
there's no there's no biological or you know <laughs> DNA different like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. While there are differences of like some sexual like sexual parts, that's really <laughs> Yeah, you know that's different than gender, and and, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because so it, you, if you think about it, like the obsession with gender is really obsession with genitalia, and I'm like, why, <laughs> why, yeah. why is anyone so obsessed with that? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I there's that's that's a whole other show, man. That's we got to have you back. Exactly. I mean, for real, because gender I mean, the gender that. stuff is just it's de- I mean, there's just so much to it that we can get into. Yeah. Um. Uh, so yes, Sadia, thank you so much for just sharing your perspective and, and your story. And, and I, yeah, I'd love to have you back. I'm, I'm blown away, uh, not only by your story, but by your generosity to talk about it. And I know like, you know, I hear you when you talk about the emotional toll that it takes, and this is a gift that you've given me and Chris and our listeners. Uh, and, and so just thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you guys for, um, creating this platform and, and sharing people's stories. I think that's, one of the best things to ever do so i i really appreciate it thank you well i'm gonna take that compliment and say thank you yes. i'm proud to do it this is great good we're good. this is well, great we we're making it work <laughs> perfect allies day by day so if you listen in guys and you enjoyed this story please go ahead and drop a comment uh subscribe to imperfect allies on your podcast listening platform and join in why uh sorry said an ally does the work. So if you have questions, why don't you do some research first? Check check that out and then come and, and holler at us. But we're always engaging. So we're always here, all platforms, Allies Imperfect on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Hey, peace. <laughs> peace.